Okay, Matthew 11 is where we are going to camp out for the next uh, few minutes. Matthew 11, we're studying the beautiful, wonderful promises of God. Promises of God. I wonder if anybody in this room or anybody listening tonight, watching, is tired. And you could probably interpret that question in different ways. Um, Certainly one way of of hearing that question might be you're thinking, yeah, I am so tired. I've been working long hours, haven't been sleeping well, been getting up early, staying up late. And, um, and, 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 and work has been stressful, and I've just been, I've just been I'm just tired, you know? I mean, it's just, some of you who are sitting in these pews, you, you might be thinking, it was just, you have no idea, uh, Chuck, how hard it was for me just to get here tonight, you know? I didn't really want to come, uh, honestly. You know, physically, just didn't feel like coming. So it could be, it could be some of you. Some of you online, um, watching the class at home, you're, um, you're just... just just tired, you know. You're just exhausted. Maybe, maybe it's more of an emotional thing that uh, just the just thing, things that have happened this year. And I don't. I, maybe you get tired of us talking about it, recounting. It. Maybe it'd be better if we didn't even mention any of it. But I think just the experience of, of the year and the accumulation of, of things, and maybe uh, you've you felt this sense of wow, can't we just move on? Let's just get past this, you know, as if. We can, you know, white knuckle it and just uh, let's just get this thing done. You know, uh, we want to we want to move past this current experience. And so it could be that emotionally you're just tired, just exhausted, just ready ready for something different. You know, so you could hear the question like that. You could hear the question in a spiritual sense, though if this weren't church, you probably wouldn't hear it like this, but maybe since this is church and it is Bible class, you, you might hear the question like, well, I'm, I'm spiritually tired. I'm, I'm spiritually exhausted. I'm, I, feel like, I feel like I can't measure up. Uh, I try, but I keep falling. I've got this particular sin that I just can't, I can't get past it. I, I commit it, I ask for forgiveness, I go back to it, I ask for forgiveness, I go back to it, I ask for forgiveness, and it's just this ongoing, this ongoing struggle, you know, I'm just, I'm just tired, I'm tired of fighting, I'm tired of not measuring up, I'm tired of, um, I'm tired of feeling like I'm, I'm never making God happy, that I'm just, um, the, the, my current spiritual experience is one of constant disappointment, I disappoint myself, I disappoint my family, I disappoint the one who created me. So there's this sense of spiritual exhaustion, perhaps. I think Jesus might have all those in mind, quite honestly, when he says these words in Matthew 11. And uh, these, are, these are very familiar words. Let me go ahead and read them, these three verses here. I'll probably go back and read a little bit more in a minute. But Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One of the most famous invitations, I guess, in the Bible. It's beautiful, um, I think, because 
we all feel that. Uh, I don't know where we are right now, emotionally, physically, spiritually, maybe, you know, I, I think, I, I don't, when, when I was saying that earlier about physical, emotional, spiritual, as if those are three different areas, and there are three different emphases, but we are holistic beings, and when we struggle physically, when we're tired physically, it affects us emotionally, it affects us spiritually. You can't separate the three. When you're exhausted emotionally, it affects you spiritually and physically. You know, they're all kind of intertwined, you know. So I think probably, I think probably we can relate to that. And when we hear this, depending on where we are right now, you know, you read this next week and you may read it differently. You read it next year or earlier this year and, and you, you might respond to this differently but I think we can all relate to this like man I want that I want I want to feel refreshed you know I want to feel energetic I, w- I want to feel like I'm not a disappointment I want to feel like I, like I matter you know like like I'm measuring up I want to feel like that maybe you can relate to that all right let's uh, let's set the stage Contextually, Matthew 11. You got, I don't know how much Matthew's thinking of what happened earlier in the chapter, um, or or what he's, how much he expects us to read this together, but I I think normally that's the way Matthew's going to write, and he expects us to do this. You go back to the first part of the chapter, and you've got John. Uh, Some commentaries, I was, one particular commentary I was reading about this, really used the first part of this chapter a lot, and first part of the chapter is John. John's tired. John's tired. He's in prison. My guess is John is tired physically, uh, emotionally, and spiritually. That uh, he's he's languishing in prison. He, you know, he had started his ministry with all this optimism. His cousin, you know, Jesus is. Uh, he, he's convicted. Uh, God has God has convicted John that John plays a special role in preparing the way and lowering the mountains, raising the valleys, making the way straight for Jesus to come. You know, John, John, uh, you remember John, John chapter one, when uh, he, he was pressured by some of, the, some of his religious contemporaries and they said, are you the one, you know, are you, are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? Are you the great prophet of Deuteronomy? Are you the one? And John kept saying, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not the prophet. I'm not Jesus. I'm not the one. I'm not the Messiah. But there he is, you know, the one coming after me. I'm not, even wor- I'm not even worthy to touch his feet. The one coming after me, he's going to save the people from their sins. That's John, this, this kind of optimism, this kind of, I mean, John had a great role, and I think he, he really filled that role. He knew what he was doing. But, but, but Matthew 11, he's in prison. The one who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who, who looked at Jesus and said, I'm not the one, but he, he is the one. Verse 3, are you the one who is to come? Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Wait, wait, what happened to the confidence? You know, what, happened to the, what happened to the conviction, John, that you had a couple years ago? You know, where, where did that go? Um, well, maybe his external situation affected what was going on in his heart. What, what was happening to him physically affected him spiritually. And there was some, there was some doubt that was creeping in, you know. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Through an accumulation of difficult situations and bad experiences and whatever, you've come to a place in your spiritual journey where you're, you, you struggle with these uncertainties, these doubts. Maybe we all get there at one, one time or another. 
Maybe that's a little bit of the background here. Of course, Jesus answered the messengers that John sent to Jesus, and he said, go and tell John what you hear and see. Here's the evidence. That's how Jesus responds to our questions. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you know, if you're truly seeking, he doesn't say, well, what a ridiculous question that is. He sends them back, and he says, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. He essentially says, John, you know the scriptures. You know, you know what's right. He just needed a little bit of encouragement. And so he goes on in the following verses. He talks to the crowd a little bit. Um, he, confronts, he confronts some inconsistencies in the people's lives. And then in the paragraph right just before, right before our paragraph, verse 20, he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Chorazin, Bethsaida, um, Capernaum. That was his home base. You will be exalted, or will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. So he, he challenges these people. You've got the Messiah right in front of you, and you can't see the signs. You, you don't believe the evidence right, right in front of you. And then he has this prayer. He, he offers this prayer in verses 25 and 26. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me. This is a and aside, another statement, not part of the prayer, it seems. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him, or uh, to, uh, chooses to reveal him. And then he says, come to me, all who labor. Do you feel the tension there? Because he's just said... He's just said, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So the Son chooses to reveal Himself or reveal the Father to certain people, and yet in verse 28, He says, come to Me. You you make the choice. I think you've got tension there, and I think you feel that tension whenever you read the Bible there. There's a kind of a, there are quite a few passages that seem to indicate that God chooses us, but then there are also a lot of passages where God gives us a choice, and that's, that's this ongoing tension, I think. There's some sense in which we are divinely chosen, but there's a very real sense in which, of course, we as individuals make the choice, and you see that even in this, even in this passage. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, Look at the next part in, in chapter 12. And then we'll come back to our text here in a second and talk about the promise that he makes. But I think you've got John's doubt in chapter 11. You've got the people's not accepting Jesus in chapter 11. You've got in chapter 12 this story. The disciples and Jesus are going through the grain fields. They're plucking heads of grain and eating it. And the Pharisees saw it and they said, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are, and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless for Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You see... You see what's happening there in chapter 12. They're walking through the grain fields. They're plucking some grain while they're walking and they're eating it. 
And the Pharisees are breaking the law, breaking the Sabbath law. We're not going to dwell on this passage, but this is one of many where they confronted Jesus often about his breaking Sabbath laws. In many cases, um, they were these interpretations of the Sabbath law that they had added to, not always, uh, but many times, you know, they had created all these laws to help you keep the Sabbath. The Pharisees viewed themselves, and this is not necessarily, or it's not completely a bad thing, they viewed themselves as putting up fences around the law to keep people from breaking the law. And so if the, if the law said, don't work on the Sabbath, okay, we're going to help you do that. <clears throat> and so we're going to put up a lot of these barriers so you don't get, get there and break the law. And you've you got to tear down these fences before you... But, but over time, what happened is their, their helping laws kind of got mixed up with the law itself. A little bit more background on that. I think I've shared this with you before, but you may, you may remember this. You know, in the Old Testament, you know the story of Judah and Israel and how they became idolatrous and God punished them. He punished Israel and took them away through Assyria. He punished Judah and took them away to Babylon. Remember that? Seventy years they came back. And, and the, the sin that permeated that period of history was idolatry. They worshipped idols. They lost their trust in God. They worshipped idols. Now, after they came back during what we, you know, what's called the intertestamental period from um, Malachi to, you know, the birth of John and the ministry of Jesus that followed, during that time, that's when the Pharisees arose. And, and, and they, they came out of a time where they wanted, to, they wanted to prepare the way for Messiah to come. Like, they wanted deliverance. They wanted God to come and take care of things, and they knew that would not happen if they were disobedient to the law. That sounds good, doesn't it? It is good. And so the Pharisees came along. They were the good guys. You know, we, man, we got to be serious about the law. we got to do this thing because you see what happened when we, when we broke it. Man, this has been miserable. If we ever want to get out of under the thumb of Alexander or Egypt or Syria or ultimately Rome... If, we're ever going to get out from under the thumb of these guys. We've got to keep the law. We've got to be serious about this. That's where the Pharisees come from. But that zeal turned into what we would call legalism. They, they thought, well, if the law is good, then more laws are even better. You know? if, um, if one law is good, then two laws are better. You know, that, that sort of thing. So they created laws. And uh, they became, you know... Uh, in some respects, they became legalists. Like they forgot what the law was supposed to do. And the law became an end in itself. It became like that's the thing. Now, I want to I show you something. I want to read to you a document that came out of this time. It's called um, Sirach. Ben Sirach was a Jew who lived in, like, they think he wrote in around 175 B.C., you know Malachi finished at about 400 B.C. Um, and so we're talking about right there in the middle. Right there in the middle of the intertestamental time. Um, and, you know, um, when you look at, for example, when you look at, if you've got friends who are Catholic, um, you've got a, a New American Bible, Catholic Bible, it'll have extra books, you know. And those books come out of this 
intertestamental time that come out of this period of time. A lot of them are very helpful because they tell us about historical things that happened during that intertestamental period. Anyway, that's, that's when this time is. I'm reading this to you. Before I read it to you, I want to tell you why I'm reading it. It's because in Jewish tradition from Proverbs, from Proverbs 8 had developed this um, and other things, but Proverbs 8 and other passages and then other things that developed in the Jewish history, they had developed this conviction about the wisdom of Proverbs 8 and, and they had personified it. It had become it had become a very important part of Jewish teaching. Let me just read you a couple of verses from Proverbs 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? You see the personification there? You hear that? Wisdom's calling. Understanding is raising her voice. On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. It's just uh, throughout Proverbs 8 you, and, and, and beyond, you've got this emphasis on wisdom being this great teacher it kind of embodied what the law wanted to accomplish. And so there was this personification of that. In the intertestamental period, <clears throat> there was a lot of emphasis on wisdom, uh, this um, almost like being a, 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 a person, uh, you know, personification, but just, just very much an emphasis on wisdom. Now, um, like when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in the 1940s, um, a lot of them were writings that came from the, uh, the Essenes, who were very active in the time of Jesus and before. And they, you see in those writings a lot of this emphasis on wisdom and, and the importance of the teaching. There's this emphasis on, on instruction and learning and law. All right. I'll say all that to say, all right, one more thing, then I'm going to read this. In Matthew 11, in, in our verses, uh, in verses... 20, I didn't really read much of um, 25 and 26 of Matthew 11, but you've got language that echoes that teaching about wisdom, okay? So the, the language, if you compare it to Proverbs 8 and you compare it to this document I'm about to, I'm about to read some from, you're going to see a lot of verbal parallels that make, make them think that Jesus is reacting to their they're exalting this personification of wisdom and the law. And he is saying, I am that. I come to you as the wisdom. The wisdom is not the law. The wisdom is not instruction. The wisdom is not a series of, of um, it's not a, a codification of these traditions that you've been developing for hundreds of years. It's not that. I am the wisdom. I am where the law was going. I am that. All right. So let me read you a couple of passages from Sirach, the document written a couple hundred years before Jesus. He that takes upon himself the yoke of the law, from him shall be taken away the yoke of the kingdom and the yoke of worldly care. But he that throws off the yoke of the law, upon him shall be laid the yoke of the kingdom and the yoke of worldly care. You hear some language that kind of reflects what, what Jesus says here? Here's one more. This is Sirach um, 6. That one I just read was Sirach 51. So, Sirach 6. Acquire wisdom for yourselves without money. 
put your neck under her yoke. All right, acquire wisdom, put your neck under her yoke, and let your souls receive instruction. It is to be found close by. Now, I read all that because I want you to hear the language. I want you to hear this this kind of teaching within Jewish tradition that wisdom is the thing. Wisdom is the thing. And if you will put your neck under that yoke and get the wisdom of the law on your neck, that's where it's at. That's, that's where you're going to find relief. And Jesus says in Matthew 11, He says, I am the yoke. Take my yoke Upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in, in heart, and you will find rest to your souls. Come to me, he says, all you who are laboring and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You guys know what a yoke is. You know, there were two different kinds of yoke. There was an animal yoke, there was a human yoke. The animal yoke would yoke like two oxen together. You'd have you know, the, part of the yoke on one, part of the yoke on the other, and it was to divide the load evenly between the two oxen, you know, so they could pull, both could pull. But probably he doesn't have that kind of yoke in mind. Probably he's got the yoke that a human would wear, and human would wear yoke as well, and the purpose of it was to distribute the weight of the load evenly across your shoulders. And I think that's probably the idea here. And he says, using this metaphorically, according to Jewish tradition, if you submit to the law, the wisdom, if you will put your neck under the law, if you will just get that right, everything will be okay. And Jesus comes along, and he says, you're laboring you're heavy laden, you're tired, emotionally, physically, spiritually. I come to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And man, we're almost out of time. Give me just a couple minutes to somewhat tie this together for us, for you. Um, the goal of a relationship with God is not a document. It is not a series of laws. It's not do's and don'ts. That is not, well, so I, don't, I don't want you to hear that I'm saying the Bible is unimportant, that laws don't matter. Jesus doesn't say that at all. In fact, in fact, he says, take my yoke upon you. He doesn't say, I don't have a yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He doesn't say we don't have a yoke. But what he, in fact, Jesus would elsewhere, he would say in the Sermon on the Mount, just a few chapters earlier, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Read the Sermon on the Mount and tell me that there, there aren't serious responsibilities involved in following Jesus. They're all over the place. What he does say is, though, the goal of all of this is a relationship with Jesus characterized by his helping us by God's Spirit to live lives in such a way that we're not burdened down by guilt and fatigue and never measuring up. It's when we started class a little bit ago, you know, this, um, this thing that sometimes we feel and sometimes, and sometimes in churches of Christ, we have emphasized obedience and the keeping of the law so much to the exclusion at times, maybe you haven't experienced this, but some folks have, to the exclusion of grace and to the exclusion of this, um, this awareness that God blesses us and takes care of us and is pleased with us because of what Christ has done, that we can, we can kind of develop this spiritual fatigue where, man, we know we don't measure up. I know how many commands I've broken 
you know, in this kind of the spiritual sense of just uh, walking around guilty all the time. Jesus says, I came to set you free from that because I came to establish a relationship with you. It's not about putting your head, putting your neck under the yoke of the law. It's about submitting. You put your neck, you put your head down and let him put the yoke on you. But it is characterized by a relationship with Christ that brings about freedom. Man, we just got started. And uh, uh, you guys have any thoughts, questions about that? So much more I want to say about that. Uh, you know, I, I, you, read, you read this text, and, and I, hope you've, I hope you feel the tension here. I hope you feel this uh, I, th- I think I think it's so easy to get off off track here. Uh, I think it's I think it's I see sometimes people living a, a life of religion that's characterized by never measuring up, and uh, and that wears on you after a while because you, you you try to you try to submit and you try to obey and you try to do right, and if you don't trust in God and you don't feel the the liberty and the freedom that's in Christ, it'll wear you out after a while. Sometimes kids growing up in homes where they, they feel this burden, they turn their back on Christ, you know. So, so it's, it's easy to get off in that direction, but it's, it's also easy. I see sometimes people reacting to that, and they're just like, man, God doesn't care what we do. He doesn't, he doesn't care at all. It's just freedom, man. We can do whatever we want. Because that's, you know, God's just this God of, of, of grace, mercy, you know, and that. And so somehow we've got to do a better job of, of understanding Jesus has incredible expectations of us. Incredible expectations. But he gives us a spirit to help us in our walk so that we don't have this feeling of fatigue and constant disappointing God and just I've let him down again. God's angry with me today. It's, um, it's just the freedom, the rest that we ought to have in Christ. And uh, I think it's a con- probably a constant struggle for all of us to enjoy that the way we should, you know. All right. I think the kids are probably out of their classes. Um, all right. Thanks so much for being here. Let's, let's pray before we, as we're dismissed. Lord, thank you so much for giving us freedom and giving us rest. Thank you that Jesus is our yoke. And we know how much you love us. Help us, help us really to experience that. And to Not just know it intellectually, but to experience it and feel it. Um, we know that leads us to obedience, Lord. It leads us to submit to you and to, to love doing what you want us to do. And we thank you that we have the freedom to obey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.